Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Now, if you are a fan of old sitcoms, you'll be familiar with this trope. Someone gets a bonk on the head, like so, bonk, and then this head injury affects the way maybe their memory works or it returns their memory in the case of the second bonk like so bonk uh and in some cases again this is in fiction it can even give them a new unprecedented skill the main takeaway from this episode is going to be do not purposely injure yourself to try to get cool abilities. You'll see what we're talking about. Uh, You you know, if you, you don't have to be a neuroscientist to realize that a second brain injury is not going, is going to make things worse rather than take you back to your baseline. But, and a first brain injury is likely not going to have positive effects. Exactly. Exactly. There's this episode of uh, Faulty Towers where John Cleese's character has a taxidermied moose head fall on his head, and then he goes a little wonky, and then, of course, it falls on his head again at the end, which returns him back to normalcy. I think there are more examples than we could probably all think of in uh, pop culture of this trope. Yeah, yeah. While he's doing research for this, I went to TV Tropes, which is one of my favorite time vampires on the internet. And this thing, uh, you you can see their entry on what I'm calling a punk on the head. Uh, But we're talking about this because today's episode came to us in the form of a suggestion slash question from our fellow conspiracy realist, Dwayne, who you may recognize from an earlier listener mail segment. And it got us asking, could something like this actually happen? Well, we're going to tell you, here are the facts. If we want to learn about this idea, first we have to acknowledge that people are still trying to figure out, we still have a lot to learn about learning, honestly. You know, everybody has some natural aptitude toward one type of skill set or another, right? Like we, we all have, you got friends who just sort of get math or they just 
understand music. You know what I mean? That just something clicks or they're quite talented in the communicative arts, or they may even be a polyglot and know multiple languages. I have a lot of polyglot friends and they're awesome, but I'm, I'm going to be honest, uh, especially my, my favorite old pal, Tim Westover. Tim, I don't always get your jokes. I'm sorry. I love <laughs> Esperanto. I know a little bit about it, but you're my language guy. I, I, if someone needs to learn you know, a, a new obscure language, I'm just going to email you instead of me doing it. I hope that's okay. Tim doesn't listen to the show, I think. But, uh, but you know, we all know this. We acknowledge it, right? Like uh, Matt and Noel, in your cases, you're both tremendously talented musicians. Uh, in other cases, there may be people who are more physiologically suited to something than the average person. Like very tall people are going to be, like the majority of professional basketball players are going to be very tall because that helps them play the game. We all accept this. We all know that these natural aptitudes, whatever they may be, can also be encouraged and refined through practice. And that's where we get to the tricky thing. I don't know if uh, the three of us have talked about this, but one of the hardest parts of learning something new is you have to be ready for that blow to your ego when you're not automatically good at the sitar or you're not automatically good at writing sonnets. You have to power through that awkward, sometimes frustrating part of the process where you're just not immediately Beethoven. And that's okay. You just have to be able to work through that like instant success especially that's funny for a lot of former honor students most of our most of our crew here at work by the way former honor students nerds you name it and we say that with affection for a lot of those folks not instantly being really good a plus level at something is a big turnoff and it's a heck of a hurdle to traverse i mean have you guys experienced this before learning a new skill whether that's like a instrument a language a game well, speaking of Hurdle, um, I was just having a conversation with my friend Tyler last night about the game Wordle and how for some people, the level of frustration that it causes them, whether it's because of a certain skill set or a certain way they process patterns or, you know, just the way their brains work, it outweighs any positive fun benefits to the game. And so they just kind of their mind rejects it. But then, there, you know, the, the positive way people would experience that would be somewhere in between where you have just enough level of frustration to make it fun and challenging. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you ultimately are successful with it to keep going. But some people are just like, nope, turned off. This is too much. This hurts my brain. It makes me feel stupid. Hmm. Right. I, 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 I see that. Like, I should be candidly, I should be a huge uh, like I should be the perfect demographic for Wordle. It just doesn't give me the same dopamine rush. Um, it feels like Sudoku. It feels like I'm doing someone else's homework on my off day. But <laughs> it's funny. Hey, it's, well, speaking I of Sudoku. For for me, it was always mathematics. And, you know, I, I think there are probably a lot of people listening right now. Well, maybe not. But where mathematics just didn't click in the same way language maybe did, or maybe music, the way it did in my case. But just, it, I had to work so hard to get passing grades in all oh, of my dude, math classes. Same. I had a and, tutor, like in college. <laughs> like I had a really hard time with math. Yeah. I, so, I mean... I, it's da it's daunting, and especially once we become adults, trying something new that doesn't automatically click, I think, causes us to just shut it off from our lives. Mm -hmm. Especially as people feel further and further pressed for time, right? And your free time, your free time erodes, and you start asking yourself, "Well, do I need to push myself for this thing? What is my?" end goal? What's my cost benefit? I I feel you guys on the math thing. Uh, a lot of that. In, in defense of anybody who feels like math is just very difficult, uh, a lot of that goes back to the pedagogy, to the approach your original teachers took when they were relaying this information to you. So don't beat yourself up. Again, everybody, given the opportunity, uh, is, is actually quite intelligent. And everybody has some really cool aptitudes. It doesn't matter who you are. So once you learn this new skill, let's say you power through it. Once you learn this new skill, if you're the average person, you're going to have to regularly practice it, not just to make sure you continue improving, but to make sure that you don't lose the stuff you've learned. Like if you, anybody who has gone to, um, 
like high school level of a foreign language, right? You know that if you don't speak French regularly or you don't read French regularly for a long time, you're going to get rusty. Uh, And then you're going to have to, when you dive back in, you're going to have to play some catch up. Uh, It won't take as long as it did the first time, but you are going to have to get those synapses and those connections refiring. We're going to talk about the brain in a bit too. So what we're, what we're verging on is like, we're, we're saying everybody who feels bad about not being the world's best mathematician, don't worry about it. You can always learn. And there's a ton of research on learning. Like how do people learn best? Uh, What makes new information stick in your mind? Um, my mother, for example, longtime teacher before she passed, one of her favorite adages was something like, when I hear, I forget. When I see, I remember. When I do, I understand. So it's experiential learning, right? Well, first of all, Ben, that is uh, a lovely adage. I really like that. Um, I don't agree, though, because I learn by hearing very often and right. and yeah. reading uh so just we all do it a little differently right um and we're just going back to the requirements generally that it takes to fully learn something we can look to malcolm gladwell in his book outliers uh this is a con there's a concept that he popularized that you've probably heard i know i've heard it i think we've said it before on this show but he at least popularized the concept that it requires 10,000 hours to become essentially a master of something right to master something and i believe it was called the 10,000 hour rule perhaps mhm yeah the idea being that if you start at a baseline zero then after 10,000 hours of regular practice, you will be not just competent, but uh, incredibly proficient at whatever you're trying to learn. And he, you know, he didn't just, Malcolm Gladwell, brilliant guy, by the way, uh, also the author of a book called The Tipping Point. um, He didn't just make this up out of whole cloth, even though he is is inarguably a very intelligent person. Uh, He was basing this on anecdotes from people who are luminaries in their field. Bill Gates, for instance, is mentioned in this. Uh, And then this study that came out in Psychological Review, a journal of note in 1993. Um, It's probably worth for us to talk a little bit about this study. There's a great article from Vox that summarizes it too. So the study actually focused on violinists and it concluded um, something seemingly obvious, but maybe let's let's take a deeper look. Uh, as Brian Resnick wrote for Vox, um, quote, the very best expert players, those who were considered elite, were the ones who had practiced the most. The conclusions implied that deliberate practice was the most important ingredient needed to achieve elite status, more important than inborn characteristics like genetics or personality. And, and again, seemingly obvious, like you know, I have maybe some innate musical abilities. Both of my parents were musicians. My kid has a little bit of innate musical abilities. But the thing that set me, that set others apart from me in orchestra in school was that I was kind of lazy. I didn't practice that much. And I was more interested in sort of noodling around and doing my own thing, which I'm very happy <laughs> that I went that route. I, I didn't go to music college. But, you know, the people that were really, really great first chair they're called elite athletes or elite musicians for a reason because they're in a class out of themselves because of how much work they put into it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? Practice may not always make perfect, but practice does make progress. That's the that's how I would rephrase that that old figure of speech. But the pro, there's a problem here, though. That study has been repeatedly examined. It's been cited thousands and thousands of times but it doesn't seem to give us the whole picture. Uh, most particularly, two researchers over at Case Western University, Brooke McNamara and Mega Matra, redid the study, which is a good thing to do in, in the world of science. They redid the study and they zhuzhed it up a little. They had a bigger sample size. So they're looking at more violinists, more violin players, and they tightened the control and the methodology of their study. And they found that practice does matter but not nearly as much as that first study indicated. I think ultimately they find that uh, amid a mix of factors, practice plays like an 18% role in how good someone's performance is. Uh, And they found that 
not only did practice not matter as much as was indicated by the first study, but it seemed learning on a, in, in some fundamental ways worked differently for the best of the best violin players, the creme de la creme violinist. So practice does matter. That's true. It's just one of several factors, genetics, personality, your life history, etc., that contributes to your overall performance. But this is where we get to some exciting. What if there was a shortcut? What if we could all avoid thousands of hours of struggling to learn a language, to get better at math, uh, struggling to become a world famous painter? Could an injury give you superpowers? We're going to pause and we'll return with the answer. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Here's where it gets crazy. Oddly enough, yes, kind of. Yes, asterisk, caveat, read the fine print, but, you know, yeah, kind of. It can happen. <laughs> we think it can happen, right? Uh, from a very small sample size of people who've had it happen to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a better way to say it. And we're getting into some controversial stuff here. Uh, we are not ourselves neuroscientists, so we're leaning heavily on the experts. And the thing is that not all the experts agree, just so you know that going into this. We're talking about something called acquired savant syndrome. And again, this is a shout out to Dwayne for asking us to explore this fascinating topic. Um, let's clear some myths. You've heard of savant syndrome before. Even the term gets tricky a little bit for people because it can be misrepresented so easily. People can be othered. And, you know, even the term savant, it comes from like the French learned idiot. So it's not starting at a great place. But well, there's even kind of a grosser version of it where people actually say idiot savant, which is yeah. way outmoded and Weird. Well, in this case, yeah. as many many outlets, at least in the news, when they refer to it, they're calling it things like sudden genius syndrome, which 
it uh, isn't quite accurate either, but it sounds nicer, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a sexier headline for sure. But 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 isn't the basis of it what a savant is, or at least you know on the surface, someone who is just instantly good at something without having to practice? Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Okay, so the most common form of savant syndrome, the one people know the most about is something called congenital savant syndrome. This is a very, very rare condition. Uh, Someone who often will have significant mental disabilities can also seem to have extraordinary abilities in some very narrow skill set. This is stuff like, this is what the Rain Man is is based on, right? This is stuff like uh, people who can see something once and then they can draw it in exquisite photorealistic detail. They're people who can tell you what day of the week, March 30th, 2193 is going to be. And they won't pause. They'll just be like, it's a, I'm not even going to guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't have calendrical computation superpowers. So this stuff is often related to memory these sorts of abilities, but they can also include things like very, very quick mathematic calculations, artistic ability, musical talent, things like that. And human beings have known about this phenomenon for some time. And as a matter of fact, the first medical account of what we recognize as congenital savant syndrome was made back in 1783. And Matt, you make a great point about the sample size. This is incredibly rare. We're talking about an estimated one out of a million people might have savant syndrome. They're going to tend to be uh, biologically male uh, more often. And within the world of, or within the range of people on the autism spectrum, there's a much higher frequency of savant syndrome. So we go from one in a million to like one in 200, or in some estimates on some level, one in 10. But I feel like that's a very, very high ratio i think it's yeah it seems high to to me yeah uh and and mostly again we're talking about congenital savant syndrome overwhelmingly that's what we're talking about here and you know you can imagine like with that small sample size and with the number of people who are able to study this kind of thing effectively like if you take those two pools of human beings together you can imagine that there hasn't been a ton of research done in, you know, on this, on savant syndrome itself, um, just because, again, it's time. It has a lot to do with time. Are there enough people to do the work needed to be done? Those 10,000 hours to study savant syndrome, right? Um, <laughs> but there is research being done. It's not completely absent. We're just learning more and more about it right now. Yeah. There's another really good point here. Uh, It wasn't until relatively recently uh, in the progress of human civilization that people even had the tools to measure or map the brain in such a way that they could get a better understanding of this. But again, again, the vast majority of human beings are not going to have this condition. It is incredibly rare. But there are other types of savant syndrome, and that's what that's what Dwayne is really asking about here. Um, the The idea of acquired savant syndrome. Imagine you are living. You're like in your twenties. You're like in your sixties. You're in your eighties. Whenever this technically could happen to someone at any time, uh, you may all of a sudden have astonishing new, not just abilities but compulsions. You, might, you won't just be maybe great at piano now for somehow, but you will further be driven to play a piano. It's all you can think about. These things occur in step with each other. Usually acquired savant syndrome is going to be something like in the world of music, art, or mathematics, uh, but they appear in people after a head injury or after a stroke or after some other incredibly traumatic event that affects their central nervous system. We'll call these uh, CNS incidents. And these skills, once, once acquired, don't seem to fade over time. Like we were saying, you know, even if you were really good at French or German or whatever in high school, then you're going to have to keep using that or else you'll, your, your memory of this will start to erode. 
Not so with savant skills. Um, we do have to know, unfortunately, because we are talking about traumatic brain injury often, this stuff can still cause serious disabilities to many people that and they come part and parcel with those newly acquired skills. So we can't think of this as an automatic free ticket to being a genius. It's not as simple as a bonk on a head. There is a price to be paid, but maybe the best way for us to explore that is talk about some examples of acquired syndrome, uh, because Dwayne, uh, Dwayne actually knows one of these people. Maybe that's the first person we talk about. Yeah, we, I, I think that's a great idea. And I just want to point something out before we jump into this. Um, Sometimes it isn't necessarily a brand new skill that's learned. Sometimes it is almost like unlocking a new way of seeing the world or a new understanding of something that you just didn't have before. Um, and then that new way of seeing or new way of experiencing the world unlocks those skills that we're talking about. Or, or even like a leveling up kind of scenario or maybe you had a base level understanding of the skill. And then all of a sudden you've reframed your thinking around it and you just are like, you know, on fire. Synesthesia. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about, Oh yeah, it's real. It's real. Oh, well, I mean, we should talk about the, the person that the, our listener wrote into us about Jason Paget, not the listener. That's the guy he wrote in about um, today. Paget is a very well-known number theorist, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, he tells his story um, this way, that he was once a, a mild-mannered, normal fella. Uh, throughout most of his early life, um, he went to college in Tacoma, Washington, and dropped out and was actually working selling futons uh, and, and partying his, his, his mind away um, in, in, the, in the wee hours when he wasn't you know, selling, slinging futons. Um, until uh, the evening of September 13th, 2002, when Paget experienced a horrible uh, traumatic event. He was robbed and beaten um, by two men outside of a karaoke bar. And when he was hit in the back of the head, he experienced what he describes as a flash. And you can imagine because your the visual parts of your brain are in the back of your head. So that checks out like that sudden flash of light that he experienced. He felt really dizzy and the whole world was spinning around him. And at that point, he fell down to the ground and lost consciousness. And when he came back, what he remembers coming back to consciousness, uh, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know how he got there. I mean, this is pretty common in a major concussion event or an event where uh, you lose consciousness due to a blow to the head. And um, when he tried to stand up, he was punched and kicked by two men repeatedly afterwards. And this, this next part is really interesting to me personally, uh, as someone who does have a form of synesthesia, uh, this is going to be familiar to anybody who's experienced this kind of stuff before. Uh, he is taken to Tacoma General Hospital. Doctors say, okay, you've got one of your kidneys has been bruised pretty significantly. And perhaps even more importantly, you have a severe concussion. Uh, Paget immediately notices his perception is shifted after this attack. As he's in recovery, he is seeing the world literally in a new way, in shapes, in fractals. This might also, no judgment, be a familiar perspective uh, to anyone who has dabbled in certain hallucinogens. Uh, he talks about, he's seeing fractals, basically. Water looks like tangent lines, and light Good old-fashioned light that he used to just not really think about is now made up of lines and spirals. And somehow, like, he's seen the world in geometry. He's seen it in terms of physics, things he had never studied. And he's thinking this is all somehow related to pi, 3.14, yada, yada, yada. Uh, he, there's a guy named Dr. Matthew Dahl uh, who put it this way. He says that after being assaulted, Jason had a perceptual change. He has a particular kind of synesthesia where he sees lines. And for him, that translates into a greater understanding of mathematics. His interaction with mathematics before had been one of, you know, you have to learn this in school, right? You have to, you have to learn this to graduate and be an adult. But now he has experiential learning, kind of like um, authors like Nabokov, one of my favorite authors, uh, Nabokov had uh, a type of synesthesia we discussed in the past on the show where words and sounds, uh, letters, all had shape and texture, and it affected the way he wrote. 
Yeah, it's like Daniel Tammet, the gentleman who wrote Born on a Blue Day. It's very similar. Just quickly, for for this person, Jason, Jason Padgett, the way he describes it is that his vision is a little pixelated and he no longer sees the world as a video. The way most of us, when like when I'm looking at the camera, I'm looking at you guys on Zoom, it's one just moving image, right? For him now, all of the images are broken up into the still frames. So he doesn't have that thing where you're actually combining two you know, images together that creates movement. He's just seeing the images. And it is strange because it's almost as though part of his, the, the visual part of his brain was broken, but it's almost as if it was then connected to a, to a different part of his brain that it wasn't connected to before. Like it's a defect, right? It's a problem, but it somehow unlocked his understanding of mathematics We hear all the time, the world is math, everything, physics, everything in the world is math, everything we do, everything we touch, everything we're made of is math. You can hear that and you can perhaps understand that to some extent, but to be able to perceive the underlying mathematics that's operating at all times, that's got, I mean, my goodness. It's like that movie, A Beautiful Mind, you know, I mean, it almost is, it was so well done that it's become a cliche where you look around and all of a sudden the world is, uh, is replaced with like numbers and equations and functions and, you know, graphs and charts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is a very good uh, artistic interpretation of the experience for some people. Paget is one of the most well-known. Uh, he also... Two two points I want to make, but I, I didn't put this in the outline, but I thought this was this was really two really impressive and nice things. Uh, he later relocated from the Pacific Northwest to Indiana because he wrote a <laughs> he bas- he basically wrote a uh, mathematical equation or process that would help him determine the best place to live in the U.S. And it turned out to be the spot in Indiana, and he went with it, and he he loves it there. Uh, he also has a great TED Talk that you can check out, TEDx Tacoma, if you want to get a summary of his experience from the number theorist's mouth. Uh, the second thing is one of the guys who originally assaulted him, that guy cleaned up his life. Uh, he was no longer, I guess, uh, abusing drugs, and he actually reached out to Jason, and they talked to each other, and they both thought it was a cathartic a healthy experience. And and Paget, for the record, considers his abilities a gift. And I, I would agree with him. That would be that's an amazing way to see the world. He's also not alone in this. There's a guy who, when he was 39 years old, was partying, dove into, I think it was a jacuzzi, and bonked his head. He got a major concussion. He lost 35% of his hearing ability. His name is Derek Amato. You can hear him talking about his experience on the excellent NPR program, Snap Judgment. Here's what happened when he was recovering. He had, before this, like you had mentioned earlier, Noel, he had, he had kind of dabbled in guitar. He played it recreationally. You know, like he probably does a mean cover of Wonderwall at this point. But then he after- liked drums too. That's important. He liked drums too. Uh, but after he uh after this injury, he found himself crazy good at piano. He was able to compose for piano. He just uh, it's amazing to hear him describe this because he sits down on piano, which he normally wouldn't wouldn't really mess with because he's like compelled to do so, and all of a sudden it's all making sense. He's having this epiphany, this revelatory moment, and he hasn't lost this ability. He still loves playing piano. This accident appears to have given him a new kind of synesthesia. But in his case, it presented as a new way to experience music. Again, amazing. Dude. Well, and the way he found out about it is he was at a friend's house and there was just a little keyboard like, um, well, you can't see in my, there's a tiny little keyboard over here. He just saw it sitting in a room. He went over to the keyboard and he just, he said he was compelled to look at it and pick it up. He started playing it, and five hours later, he put it down. Like, like a person who never plays a keyboard just did that. Um, that kind of compulsion is fascinating to me. Like, your brain is just sending you on a mission, essentially. A brand new mission that you've never tried before, and you have to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Uh, this also... 
another example just to show that this isn't always, you know, trumpets and angel farts and good news. Uh, there is a gentleman named Alonzo Clemens, phenomenal sculptor, photorealistic sculptor. Uh, he is part, part of his sculpting ability. A huge part of it is believed to be the result of a severe brain injury he had when he was only about three or four years old. And this left him with some, some significant developmental disabilities. It affected his IQ. It affected um, his mental progress uh, ever since that accident, which meant he would need assistance of some sort for the rest of his life. Clemens exhibited this profound talent for sculpting. He started with clay. And when the teachers took the clay away, he was like, forget it. He got tar from the pavement and started making sculptures again. He would use butter, lard, whatever he could find. And he had no formal training ever. But what happens is, and this is interesting, Matt, going to our conversation about Paget. what happens is he now seems to be able to create lifelike representations of any animal he sees, even if he just sees it for a moment. And for any artist in the crowd, you know that if you are, but a lot of the art you may do, especially if it's very detailed and lifelike, you probably have a reference at some point that you're looking at, right? Uh, but what's happening with him is he's able to just glance at it and then boom, I'll not just make a horse, I'll make that very same horse I saw. Researchers believe that what's happening is similar to um, is similar to this idea that you talked about with freezing something in a mental tableau. He's able to freeze the frame of his perception, hold it in his mind, and produce the exact image. And his work is objectively very impressive. Um, it's it's something again that came with a very a very high price. We're talking about a guy who is not going to have the same level of independence that a lot of other people have, but also there are very few people in the world who are ever going to be as good as this, this guy at sculpting. Um, there aren't a ton of savants out there, whether they're, we're talking congenital savants or people with acquired savant syndrome, but this is an enormous opportunity to learn more about the profound malleability of the human brain. And there's still so much more to this story like I, I, this doesn't get talked about as much when we talk about savants, but there are people who, as they age, they acquire specific types of age-related mental deterioration that can also give them new skills and compulsion. We're talking specifically about something called frontotemporal dementia, or FTD. And let's keep adding to this before we get to, before we get to the next turn in conversation. There's some twist ahead, folks. Let's have one more example. Let's talk about Tony Sicoria. Tony Sicoria is at a pay phone. He's hung up the phone. He's about a foot away. It's 1994. It's near Albany, New York. And then he gets struck by lightning, kind of shades of that movie Powder, right? He has a near-death experience. His heart stops. You could say he dies. Uh, and he reports some things that you see in near-death experiences. He sees his body on the ground, surrounded by a bluish light. He very well could have died permanently, but he had a huge stroke of luck here. There was This wouldn't have happened in the age of smartphones. <laughs> there was somebody who was just waiting behind him to use the phone next. And luckily for Tony, lucky for science, she happened to be a nurse, and she was able to resuscitate him. His face is burned because that's where the lightning, the electricity entered. His left foot is burned because that's where the electricity left. For the first few weeks, he's like, my memory is weird. Something's up with that. I feel really low energy. And then that kind of faded. And he was on the mend and he started feeling normal. And he just had this really crazy story about how he got struck by lightning until he got hit with something else. Oh, yeah, he got hit with memory problems. I mean, that was the first thing, right? <laughs> or that's what he was experiencing. Um, but he also got hit with one of these compulsions we keep talking about. In this case, it was the need to listen to classical piano, just fill his head with it as much as he could. And then the desire and the need to go out and buy a piano so that he could start working on it and just putting some of that music out through his hands, through his fingers, that he was just experiencing, basically. 
and he remains an impressive pianist to this day. He had no prior history of interest in music, nor a history of interest in performing. That lightning changed him, uh, and it changed something about his brain. Uh, we're we're going to hit you with one more twist here right before we go to the break. Turns out there may be a third type of savant. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. All right, we've got congenital savant syndrome. You are born with a condition or some sort of condition that creates an extraordinary skill set, right? Uh, And then we have acquired savants you survive a traumatic injury of some sort which changes your brain in a way that appears to give you a profound ability as well as a profound compulsion to pursue that ability the third type sudden savants this is a term describing people who have an unprecedented as of yet, inexplicable surge in a specific ability or skill set unlike traditional savants And unlike acquired savants, they don't seem to have any accompanying brain trauma or injury. They have no damage to the central nervous system. Instead, um, they have something that, well, let's introduce, I want to introduce this guy, Daryl A. Treffert. Daryl A. Treffert is, or was for a long time until he passed in 2020. It's like a world-class expert on savants. He was the the go-to person for this. And he had this beautiful description of the sudden savant. He said they have a, quote, unanticipated, spontaneous, epiphany-like moment where the rules and intricacies of music, art, 
or mathematics, for example, are experienced and revealed, producing almost instantaneous giftedness and ability in the affected area. Think about that. You're a normal guy. You're just you're walking around the streets of um, Missoula or something, and you turn a corner, and you like I I don't know. You just you see like a sign for Baskin Robbins or something, and all of a sudden you have this amazing understanding of math. Like, how does that, how does that work? No one knows. It's just sometimes in very rare instances, it appears people acquire uh, extraordinary ability at a, a very specific skill set. It is interesting in, in my reading of this, Ben, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems as though sleep is in some way often connected to sudden, to the sudden type that we're talking about here. Where yeah, revealed you, in a dream, right? Well, yeah, either somehow, either revealed in a dream or just upon waking as the brain reboots, right? There's just extra code there for some reason. Uh, like how it's weird to think about it that way, but that's kind of what it is. It's like a program got loaded while you were asleep. They found the DLC. That's what happened, <laughs> right? They found the DLC. Uh, and this is. This again, this does not is not accompanied, so far as we know, by um, damaging or uh, detrimental mental conditions. There are examples of this in the scientific record, and while their specific skill sets or gifts may differ, uh, Doctor Treffert believes they all have some broad commonalities. And again, he's like the, the world expert on this. He describes uh, these commonalities in a really quick checklist. And they all, they all make sense, uh, but we need, to, we need to talk about them, especially the compulsion aspect. So what, what makes someone a sudden savant? What makes that different? Well, we talked about abrupt onset of a skill, usually with no prior talent, or even prior interest in this. Like, I don't understand math. I didn't care about it. I woke up and now I'm like the best mathematician in town. Now you're going to Harvard. Now you're, you're go going to Harvard. Mop the floors at Harvard. Park the car at Harvard Yard. <laughs> uh, there's no obvious precipitating event, no injury or disease. The skill also comes with this seemingly instant knowledge of the underlying concepts and rules of a thing. I understand basic mathematical principles now. I get major and minor scales. I can see them. I can feel them somehow. And the person who is experiencing this has never studied these things. They know them without learning them, without doing any of the stuff we described in the first part of this episode. Man. Yeah. And, and the other major component is that OCD factor, right? The need, the compulsion to do this thing. It is now overlaid on top of everything else you think about. Yeah. And that's that makes it as much of a force as it makes it a gift in, in the doctor's opinion. There's also, per him, there's a deep fear that sudden savants have that this change because this is a profound change to your mind the most personal thing people possess uh, and they they start to think they start to rightly ask themselves am i going crazy i've got to keep this a secret it's it's similar to the superhero trope in comic books and just to reiterate it's a super small sample size therefore there's still a whole lot uh more research left to be done um if that is the uh, savant syndrome even exists at all. Um, you know, after hearing all of these confirmed stories that we've been laying out for you it might surprise you to learn that not every expert believes savant syndrome actually exists. Wait, scientists disagree with one another. That's crazy talk. Wow. Um, yeah. Pamela Heaton. It's sort of, the nature of the game <laughs> sort of like there have to be these factions, you know, for, for it or again, as, as our friend Scott Benjamin would say, right, Ben? Um, well, si it, hey, 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 guys, in science, we must always constantly test that which we think we know, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. 
at, at the most uh, idealized version of science. Um, but you do end up getting in these kind of fiefdoms and people protecting their territory and these pet theories and all of that stuff. And it can cause a lot of interesting mudslinging. Um, Pamela Heaton, who's a PhD uh, professor of psychology at Goldsmiths University in London, said, quote, I'm not convinced that this syndrome exists. I once saw a conference presentation of acquired savantism, but the quality of the art produced had not been evaluated by an art expert. If someone sustains brain damage that results in obsessional activity and this becomes focused on drawing without regard to the quality of the output, is that savantism? The problem is that people use the term in different ways. Uh, I also think there's a problem with her uh, assessment here, and this is clearly like a scientist describing the value of art. Like, it's not art unless it was analyzed by an art expert and like rated on like these factors. That is not really how people interpret art. It's sort of subjective. Like, there's a lot of art that's in like modern art museums that wouldn't necessarily meet the criteria for what the scientist considers art. So I think that's a problematic mm. statement in and of itself. But it is interesting to think about obsession with something is not the same as being incredibly uh, proficient at it. And, you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. But, but, but what is proficiency? How do you define proficiency in art? Like art is so about the end user's experience. Like there's all these outsider artists that you would not say are particularly good painters, but they make things that are emotionally resonant, you know? Well, a lot of the value of art is the context or the story of the artist. In many cases, that's what people are buying if they're buying it. But I I would, the reason I wanted to pull that quote is, yeah, first we've got to acknowledge that not all of the experts agree, but then secondly, yeah, to your point, art may not be the best example because arts, um, the idea of art having value is is a very personal, subjective thing, right? Do you remember an episode of King of the Hill where Peggy uh, was making these like robot things out of propane tanks and then this gallery owner like in Houston or whatever, um, you know, caught wind of her work and, and, and just like showered her with praise, made her feel like she was an absolute genius. And she started like really believing it and wearing a beret. And then she went to the art show and realized she was sharing it. Is this any episode that hasn't really aged particularly well? She was sharing it with Jimmy, who is a person with some mental disabilities and they, yeah, again, didn't age well. They, they really play into that. And he's sort of like, like this wild, you know, I think he's like finger painting or something like that. Again, not not great. But that's what the episode's about. He's he's capitalizing on this whole like outsider savant artist thing in a really gross um, and uh, exploitative way. Yeah. And this this is something that, you know, again, is even though that's fictional, it, it is based on on a real phenomenon which we're talking about. And this is where this this is what takes us to what I see as the future, as the bleeding edge questions. And we have to be careful how we navigate these questions because we are talking about real people and we're talking about things that are yet to be fully understood. But for a lot of us in the audience today, one of the questions that naturally arises is, hey, would it be possible to one day give myself abilities like this? Could one purposely induce savant-like skills? Right now, the answer is not really, not really, and uh, very dangerous. (laughs) There is solid science indicating that electrical or magnetic stimulation of the brain, uh, two of my favorite old hobby horses, TDCS or TMS, may bestow some sort of temporary mental improvement. You can create the feeling of being in the quote-unquote zone, that area of flow and focus, but that can also possibly have some damaging effects on your cognitive processes if it's, you know, if you're using it all the time over a long period of time. So what will we need to do to be able to say, like, is there a world where one day someone will say, if you want to get better at math, take the money you would have paid a tutor and pay a neuroscientist to give you a targeted pop. Ow. I shouldn't have hit myself when I was doing that, but give yourself a targeted pop to make you all of a sudden great at trig, trigonometry, whatever. We're not there yet, but as the research continues, humanity is getting closer and closer to a world in which that idea may not be science fiction, which is both amazing and frightening. Yeah, I agree. And for my money, I think we might 
understand how to do it. In an article in Brain and Life, written by Susan Fitzgerald, titled Studying Acquired Savant Syndrome May Increase Understanding of Creativity, uh, there's some stuff in here that at least through the mechanisms of the brain, we think maybe we understand what's happening or what may be happening. I'm going to read a little bit from this. Quote, the exact mechanisms of how a brain injury could lead to virtuoso skills is not fully understood, but the, quote, prefrontal cortex normally suppresses activity in lower brain regions in the parietal cortex and elsewhere involved in creativity. Uh, so that, let's just pause there. The prefrontal cortex suppresses often those creative urges that we have. Um I'm going to continue here. This means that the prefrontal cortex keeps our creative abilities in check to ensure that we can be creative when necessary, but that not all of our energy is devoted to those activities. So that kind of makes sense, right, from, a, from an evolutionary perspective. Let's be creative when we need to be creative, but when we need to just take care of business, let's also make sure that that is at the forefront. That's like the whole uh, almost fight or flight thing connected to the prefrontal cortex, the more advanced parts of our brain. Um, this is the last part here. Damage to the prefrontal cortex can sometimes prevent it from suppressing that activity in the brain in those areas involved in creativity or from keeping the lower brain regions in check. And this is a quote from Barrett Brogard, uh, who's a PhD professor of philosophy at the University of Miami. Quote, without the prefrontal cortex suppressing the activity of the lower brain areas, you sometimes see hyperactivity in those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is something I talked about in TDCS episodes as well. That electrical simulation is silencing part one part of your brain. And then when that part is occupied or when it itself is suppressed, it's when the other parts come out to play. You know what I mean? School's out. Uh, there, there is part of that, but we don't know the long tail consequences though, which is very important. I, rem I remember there's a book by Philip K. Dick called Vallis that's sort of autobiographical. It's really weird. He writes it from the third person and the first person. He's like writing about himself, like as an omniscient narrator. And it's about like this, this uh, event that happened where like he says he claims a pink laser beam from outer space was fired into his brain and imbued him with the ability to speak Latin and like the knowledge that his son had some sort of rare cancer and that he was able to like save his life using this knowledge. I think he's probably largely referring to, you know, hallucinogenic experience and, and this kind of talking about this kind of stuff and the way the pathways in your brain can be like kind of gamed or unlocked. Let's just say, I'm wondering if, if there are examples of people unlocking these types of abilities through psychedelic experiences coming on the other side of one of those, a particularly powerful one and realizing you, know something you didn't know before or to your point matt the whole reframing aspect of it you know what i mean mm, yeah perhaps i think the the real far out questions for me you guys when it comes to the future is are these innate abilities that all of us have from the structure of our brains because we do have so much in common when it comes to how our brains are structured each each one of us uh like is this stuff in there already these these talents, these abilities to see and understand complex things like music, like a you know a piano, a guitar, uh, singing abilities, uh, mathematical understanding, is that all in there and it just needs to be unlocked, or is it something that gets inserted through like lightning or, or you know I mean we just to me it feels as though it's stuff we've all got. Uh, because I don't know how it would be inserted through an injury or being struck by lightning. Well, think of it in terms of hardware versus software. What's happening in these cases is that the hardware is being affected. It's not necessarily that there is... I, I love that DLC joke from earlier, I'll admit, but it's not necessarily as if a vast amount of information or software is being downloaded. What's happening is that the 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 pathways through which the brain encounters the world and evaluates the world have been altered in some degree to to in some way and there are lots of brilliant scientists who are studying this now but you also start to run into ethical quandaries when you say like even even if someone says okay i will 
with informed consent, sign up for a study, seeing whether we can replicate this in what's called a neurotypical person, whether we can purposely recreate acquired savant syndrome, even if they sign up for that, and even if they fully are fully on board with the risk of traumatic injury to the central nervous system or the brain, you would still possibly you would still possibly be doing serious damage to someone's mind. That's that's part of the issue. Now, does everybody, like I said earlier, you know, the vast majority of people are incredibly intelligent when given the opportunity and the space and the time and the motivation to really think about things. But not everybody's hardware is the same. So there are um, there are people who maybe are just not going to be able to click with math unless you know the interstate roots of their brain and how their brain encounters math are changed. That's what I would say. Does that make sense? You know, it makes me think of a conversation I was having with a friend of mine about a particular type of therapy. Uh, it's used to treat trauma. It's called EMDR. And it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a type of psychotherapy that's designed to help people get past traumatic memories by kind of um, sort of subjecting themselves to these traumatic memories uh, while, uh, you know, a therapist uses like a, a special kind of light. And it has to do with eye movement and all this stuff. But the point is, the idea is that it's supposed to re trace those neural pathways in your brain and sort of make them fresh again. And we all know that our brains are incredibly elastic and that these pathways can regenerate, you know, or, or be replaced or, or, you know, be kind of elastic in that way. Um, so I think it's really interesting. And this all does, you know, does speak to the incredible potential power and mystery of the human brain and how little we actually know or understand about what it's capable of. Because I am a lot of fun at parties, let me also end by busting one of the most popular and misleading myths about the nature of the human brain. You're using 100% of your brain. You are. Because your brain is like, you know, if you look at a, uh, a spaceship or a rocket launch, there's a very small part of that that has the astronauts in it. The rest of it is, is an enormous support system to make sure those people don't die and that they get to where they're supposed to be. So a lot of the stuff your brain is doing is stuff that you are not consciously aware of. And I'm going to, just to establish this point, I'm going to do something I wouldn't ordinarily do. But think about your breathing right now. Think about when you're going in and out, inhaling and exhaling. And the more you think about it, the more you bring it to the conscious part of your brain, the harder it is to, going to be to not pay attention to it, right? That's, that's the thing. Like, you want it to be an unconscious activity. So your brain is a tremendous piece of technology or a piece of equipment, at least. Um, but you are not aware of a lot of the work it's doing. I also would like to recommend everybody check out our three-part series on how your brain deceives you. What did we do? We did love, hate. There's something else, um, but but it's an amazing thing that humanity still doesn't fully understand. And research in this field may be one of the keys to making some real breakthroughs here. And at this point, I say we we have to toss it to our fellow conspiracy realists. Uh, first, thank you again to Dwayne for the excellent suggestion. And also, what do you think? What can savant syndrome teach us about the human brain? Matt, Noel, this is a question for us as well. Would you ever consider participating in research that could just maybe give you that shortcut? You know, like you don't have to spend four years getting a college level bachelor's in mathematics. You can just get the bonk. What would you do? Uh, I'm already a video game savant. I'm good. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but you know. Yeah, I'm just an idiot. So. Okay. Well, uh, we can't wait to hear from you all. So let us know what's on your mind. We have a number of ways to contact us. We try to be easy to find online. Correct, Mundo. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at the handle Conspiracy Stuff. You can find us on Instagram at the handle Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you don't want to check us out on social media, why not give us a telephone call? Yes. 
Do please. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's fun for you and for us. It's going to be great. Let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air in one of our listener mail episodes that come out every Thursday. And uh, oh, hey, I really am interested personally in your concepts around this topic that are more metaphysical or you know out there. I just want to, I want us to have thought experiments together on that. So if you got any weird ideas that you think might be a little out there, send them our way. If you've got more to say than can fit in that three-minute voicemail message, why not instead consider sending us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.